Well, we welcome you again to our uh, live stream for our Sunday school. And um, as we broadcast this and as we talk about it, we do it in order to exalt the Lord Jesus Christ and to proclaim the truth of his word and also to benefit you. We care about you and love you and we want your life to be blessed and to honor the Lord and to have impact. Uh, We all want to know that our lives count for something and we all want to finish our lives where we finish well and know that we had weight and impact and that uh, we, in a sense, not only live on in heaven, but our influence lives on on earth. As it says in Hebrews chapter 11, that being dead, they still speak. And we all kind of want that. And we uh, struggle with those kind of things because the pull of life and the pull of this earth and the pull of our flesh so superficial and we tend to waste our time and waste our lives and we get things out of order and then we suffer the consequences of it and uh, time goes by in life believe me much faster than we ever uh, think that it will and time goes by in terms of your career in terms of just your age Uh, You don't talk to anybody who is old that they say, man, it took a long time to get here. Am I finally ready to finish up? It it goes by so fast, doesn't it? In raising children, if you have them, uh, that time that it seems at the beginning to just crawl, are they ever going to get out of diapers? Will they ever walk? Will they ever go to school so I can have a little bit of free time during the day? Man, that goes by so very fast. And all of this is the way that uh, life just actually is. And in this, God has a better plan. Now, as we go to uh, the book of Haggai, chapter 1, we're going to talk about some lessons that we need to learn, very important lessons. If you are old enough to remember Leave It to Beaver, the dad, what was his name, Ward? Uh, One of the things he would always say to Beaver and Wally, uh, that show was a little bit before my time, um, so I may have some of this wrong, but he would always kind of say, uh, did you learn your lesson? Did you learn your lesson? And I think my dad must have got some of his parenting skills from Ward Cleaver because whatever I would do, my dad would say, did you learn anything from that? And uh, sometimes I'd have to painfully admit, yeah, I learned something. And he would say that there's really nothing that is uh, too bad or too um, expensive or horrific or whatever in life if you learned from it, if you learn from it. In fact, um, even after I became an adult, sometimes when I would do something that, you know, might have cost me a lot of money or some mistake that I made that I shouldn't have made, And he would say, you know what? It's a cheap mistake if you learn something. That was his big deal. You got to learn something out of it. Well, you know, one of the things that we ought to be doing is, uh, as believers, is constantly learning our lesson. There are always things every day that God is teaching us. And sometimes he teaches us through just positive instruction You know, when Jesus said, uh, and we'll reference this in a little bit, seek first the kingdom of God, that's just the way it ought to be. We ought not have to learn from the negative, just do what he says. But so many times we find ourselves 
learning because we veered off of the path, we did the wrong thing, we were foolish in things, and we suffer the consequences. And what does God do in that? Is it because he's angry and he's wanting to clobber us? Uh, is it because he's been just waiting for that opportunity to squish us and take away our joy? No, that's not it. According to Hebrews 12, he does it because he loves us. And out of that love, he is the discipline is not so much punishment as it is training. God is teaching us something, how to be better, how to learn our lesson. Now, as we get back into Haggai chapter 1... The temple foundations have been laid, but they've been sitting dormant, neglected, for 16 years. Now, that's a long time. And when they finally get around to building, rebuilding this temple, it took them about five years. That's a significant project. Uh, but in 16 years, they could have rebuilt this temple three times, couldn't they? But in their minds, there was never enough time. There was never enough money. Uh, it, it just, you know, later, we'll get to it later on. Well, God finally has had enough. And uh, I, I say finally, he finally speaks. I think he always had had enough of it. He never was happy with it. But now he speaks. And he is speaking to them, telling them, have you not noticed the things going on in your life? Some things that seem to be extreme, some things that seem to be abnormal, no matter how hard you work, no matter what you do, it's just not working out for you here. And God says, all of this time and all of the things that were happening, I was teaching you. I was getting your attention, and now I want to make sure that you get all of it. So let's read, and we're down in verse 7. Thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways always a good thing no matter what your age may be don't don't ever get into the place to where you are so stuck in your life and in your routine and in a rut let's say somebody said a rut is just a grave with the ends kicked out don't don't get so stuck into that uh, that you can't change that you can't learn consider your ways okay thus says the Lord of hosts consider your ways go up to the mountains and bring wood and build the temple, it's time, that I may take pleasure and be glorified, says the Lord. And there's the key. Verse 9, you looked for much. That's the word that you, you dreamed, you had expectations, you had goals. Nothing wrong with that. But indeed, it came to little. And when you brought it home, even when you did achieve, uh, notice this, it's not the devil God says, I blew it away. He's an active father, active in your training, in your discipline. Okay? Why, says the Lord? In other words, here's the lesson. Because of my house that is in ruins, while every one of you runs to his own house. Therefore, or because of this, the heavens above you withheld the dew, and the earth with, withholds its fruit. For I called for a drought on the land and on the mountains, on the grain and on the new wine and the oil, whatever the ground brings forth on men and livestock and on all the labor of your hands. 
what the Lord is describing there is saying that you went out and you worked, you dreamed, you planned, you worked, you sweated, you toiled, and you don't have anything to show for it. That's called an empty life. That's the definition of futility, and that's not the way God wants us to live. Now, you may never be Bill Gates or anything like that. You may never be the president. You may never be a general in the army. You may never be a CEO. That's not really what the Lord is talking about. He's talking about wherever you are, at whatever stage of life you're in, to have a life that is significant, to have a life that is productive, to have a life that uh, brings joy, that brings contentment into your life, that has impact upon other people, and something that is going to outlive and outlast your physical life. But these people were working hard, and they were doing a lot of things. They were very busy, it looks like, but they were busy on their own pursuits. And whenever they did meet some of their goals and, and dreams, the Lord says, I blew it away. This is the Lord doing it. Again, it's not the devil doing it. I'm sure the devil was pleased, but this was not the devil's work. This is God's work. This is the work of a loving heavenly father who is sovereignly in control of all things, even the weather and all of that. And he is doing this in order to better his people. He's doing this in order to get them in a place where they would be able to be blessed and when you're blessed of the Lord, let's just face it, your life is not only going to be pleasing to God, but it's going to be pleasing to you as well. There's going to be a sense of peace and contentment and well-being in all of this. It's going to affect you in every way, and it's going to affect relationships and everything else around you. So let's think about this. What are the lessons that the Lord would want us to learn like he wanted the remnant that had come back from Babylon to the land of Israel, that he wanted them to know. Think about these things with me. Now, the first thing we need to understand is uh, found in verse 7, that there's only one way that life really works. That's a lesson we need to learn. We may try, and the world may try, to bypass this, to ignore this, to do it some other way, but anything you get out of it is going to be only temporary and the consequences that come back are going to be bitter and lead you to a life of futility. He tells us in verse 7, consider your ways, but that's not the real lesson. That just is going to lead us to learn the lesson. And he says, uh, get busy, go up, get the materials, and rebuild the temple. And it's not just to have a temple. It's not just because there's a vacant spot there. It's not just because it looks bad or something like that. He tells us why. He gives us the purpose. That I may take pleasure in it and be glorified. You know, if God is not taking pleasure and being glorified in the things that we do, then what's the real point? You know, uh, a preacher could preach himself uh, blue in the face. But if God's not pleased with it and is not glorified in it, then what really is the point? And you could work and you could work to retire wealthy and you could work real hard in order to have all kinds of possessions and to pass on things to your kids. But what is the point, really the point, if God doesn't take pleasure in it 
and if he is not glorified in it. And that's what God is saying to them. You're missing something. You're working hard. And it wasn't like they were not accomplishing anything. They were making some progress. It was difficult. And it probably wasn't what they really wanted. Uh, They were, I mean, they have their own houses. They have their own lands. But the problem was they failed to please, honor, and glorify the Lord. You know, the Bible tells us that our goal is whatever we do, whether we eat, whether we drink, I mean, the most mundane things of life, we are to do all to the glory of God. Well, that's what the definition of sin really is. All have sinned and what? Fall short of the glory of God. Well, that's what was happening here. Now, as you uh, think about the reason that they had gone into uh, Babylon in the first place was because God was so angry about their idolatry. Well, they had learned their lesson and they were not involved in idolatry. In fact, the Jews, after the exile in Babylon, they never were guilty on a widespread scale. I'm sure there were individual things, but on a widespread scale of idolatry like they were before, they had learned their lesson. But understand this, the absence of idols did not necessarily mean that God was pleased and that he was being glorified. You see, if the Christian life is defined only by what you don't do, well, then you may be missing and probably are missing the main thing that brings joy in the Lord Jesus Christ. See, the Bible says that the kingdom of God is not meat nor drink, in other words, eating or drinking, but it's righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. And a lot of us are missing that because we thought the Christian life was, I don't do this, and I don't do this, and I don't do this, and I don't do this. And then we get frustrated and point at other people and say, how can they do that and be a Christian? And we make the Christian life just a system of works of do's and don'ts and mainly don'ts and somebody said one time and they were kind of being a little bit lighthearted, but it still is true that if you get busy doing the do's you won't have time to do the don'ts but some people maybe you are all focused upon the things that we don't do and may I point out that the people of Israel had come back into the land they had laid the foundation of the temple and they did not have any idols And yet God is telling them, I'm still not pleased. I'm still not taking pleasure in this. And I am still not glorified in this. And so motive is what makes the difference in all of this. There's nothing wrong with having your own house. God wasn't condemning them because they had their own houses. He was speaking to them because they were taking care of themselves but they weren't prioritizing God. The things of God were way down on the priority list. Everything else was what really mattered. And you know, you can make an idol out of something that's not a chunk of concrete or carved out of wood. You can idolize yourself. You can idolize your dreams and goals. You can be a workaholic and idolize work. You can make an idol out of your family. Family always comes first. You can make an idol out of sports. You can make an idol out of pleasure. You can make an idol out of laziness even. All of those kind of things keep God from being first place or the priority or the motive or the uh, grand ambition of our lives the glory of God. Well, that's number one. Number two, 
Here's another lesson. A selfish life always brings futility. Now, you may amass a lot of toys, and you may amass a lot of human applause, but remember Jesus told us when men are speaking well of us, that ought to cause us to perk up and go, wait a minute, is something wrong? That's the kind of thing that if we are living for the applause of men, if we are living for the approval of men, we're probably missing the approval of God. We're probably missing what really matters. A selfish life brings futility. Now, it certainly will at the judgment seat of Christ. All of us must stand before the judgment seat of Christ the Apostle Paul says. That is a doctrine not very many people preach and not very many people think about. Your life is going to be evaluated by Jesus at the judgment seat of Christ. And Paul gives us kind of a a metaphor, a picture, and he said it's like putting things into fire. And if you put some things into fire like wood or hay or stubble, what happens to it? It burns up and it becomes nothing but ashes. A life that is cremated, let's say. There's nothing left of it but just ash. However, Paul said if you put gold into that fire or precious stones into that fire, what happens? Well, it's actually purified and it withstands the heat. It comes out on the other side And it is something that is valuable and something that is useful. And Paul said everybody's life, every Christian's life, this is not about lost people, this is about Christians. Every Christian will stand before the Lord to give an account, an appraisal of his time on earth, however long or however short it might have been, as to whether we were wood, hay, and stubble, or gold, silver, and precious stones. What's the difference? The difference is the wood, hay, and stubble, that's a life that is built upon self, a self-centered life. The motive is self. And even people that do the right things, even things that appear to be biblical and appear to be Christian or they appear to be self-sacrificing or any of those things we might use, And yet they were done for the glory of self, to feel good because we want other people to notice us. That kind of stuff, even if it's good, turns to be wood, hay, and stubble. Motive was what matters. Motive is what matters. And there may be even some other people that you look at them and go, how can they do that and be a Christian? And yet if you could see what God sees... Yeah, they made some mistakes, and they're still a sinner. But God looked upon their heart, and in their heart, they desired to honor and glorify God. They may have got tripped up. They may have gotten distracted. They may have been attacked. There may have been a trap that was set for them or something. But how many times did David in the Psalms cry out for God to deliver him from his enemies, to deliver him out of a trap and out of sin and those type of things? But David always had a heart for God at the core of his being. He didn't always act like it, but that was where his desire was, and that's what God saw. And so God is looking at you and looking at me, and the things that we do, the things that other people see and think that are wonderful or whatever, God looks upon the heart. Remember that? 
He looks upon the heart. And when we stand before the judgment seat of Christ, I think motive is going to be what is actually going to be judged. Was it done for the glory of God? Did we have a heart for God? Were we wanting God to be pleased with our life? Were we uh, using the resources he gave us in a, a way that would honor him, in a way that he could take pleasure? And so the people here, God said, you've neglected me. To neglect the temple was to neglect God. So go get the stuff and get busy and build it and build it with this one motive in mind that I may take pleasure in it. Does God take pleasure in your life? That I may be glorified. Is God being glorified in your life? Now again, we saw that uh, in the most mundane things of life, it doesn't have to be religious things, whether you eat or whether you drink, do all things to the glory of God. It's the way we talk. It's the way we handle relationships. It's the way we handle money. It's the way we handle our time. It's the way we involve in thing, get involved in things in the community. Why do we do it? And do we take advantage of it to do it for the glory of God? There's a lot of things we could do to be ambassadors for Christ uh, without changing a whole lot in our life except changing the motive. If you could change the motive, why do you come to church? Why do you sing in the choir if we had one going right now? One of these days we will. Why is it that you do what you do as a parent? Why is it that you do what you do in the community or wherever? And Paul says it's supposed to be for the glory of God. So it's not wrong to have expectations, but it is sad when they're never met. That's what God is saying here. I blew it away. And what little there is, it just kind of disappears, it dissipates. And um, this was done on purpose by the Lord. It wasn't an accident. And again, it wasn't the devil in this case. I mean, he would do that if he could, but it's not the devil here, is it? Understand that. The third lesson we want to learn is that the issue is really just misplaced priorities. And it's not that God is saying you shouldn't have done this and you shouldn't have done this with your own house and your family. All he was saying is you should have done the temple first. If there was time to build your house, there was time to build the temple. If there was money to build your house, there was money to build the temple. But we always think that, you know, God can wait and that the things of God, well, they'll come later when times are better, when times are easier. And that all means it'll never come. And if God had not intervened, you know what would have happened? These people were just like us. They never would have gotten around. They never would have done it. And that's a, a sad thing because we really ought to be motivated to glorify the Lord. That ought to be the easiest thing that we do. That ought to be the most prominent thing in our lives. And it is not, is it? You have trouble with that. You struggle with that because you're like all of the rest of us. You're a human. And God is going to say, I love you just the way you are, but I love you too much to let you stay that way. And so he says, this, the whole reason here is because my house is in ruins while yours is taken care of. You know, it's uh, kind of funny that sometimes... Even in the church, I know this is not the temple and it's not where God lives. God lives in all of us. But this is where we meet to represent God. Isn't it interesting how uh, in your own house, how things need to be changed and updated and 
taken care of and all of that. And yet in the church, well, it's okay if it's not taken care of or if it's out of date or if it's torn up or something. We just kind of get used to that. Well, that's what he is saying here. And I think it goes even more than that for believers. We need to be thinking about every part of our life. Husbands, what kind of a husband are you? Well, you can be a good husband, but are you being a husband for the glory of God? Wives, you might be a good, godly, submissive, Proverbs 31 type woman, but if you're only doing it because you have to or because you're afraid not to do it, that falls short. It's, it's like these people not having idols, and yet at the same time, God said, you're not glorifying me. Everything we do is to be for the glory of God. Misplaced priorities, putting self first or doing it for the wrong reason. So the temple is still in ruins and they claim they don't have time or money for any of it, but they have time and money for their own property. Let that sink in. Time and money for what we want to do. No money to give to God, but plenty of money for football tickets. Amen? No money to give for God, but there's plenty of money for vacation. There's plenty of money for clothes. There's plenty. I mean, we could go on and on and on with that. No wonder God doesn't bless us any more than he does. And let's go to the fourth lesson that we need to learn here. And that is that God actively chastises his children. This is not incidental. This is not accidental. This is not coincidental. This is not just something that happens, just uh, who knows why. This is God actively being involved in their life. And he is saying, you want to know where the rain is? I'm the one that withheld it. You want to know why the earth is not bearing fruit? Because I have decreed that it wouldn't. You want to know why there's a drought on the land? Because he says in verse 11, I called for a drought on the land and on the mountains and on the grain and the new wine and the oil on whatever the ground brings forth and on the livestock and on the labor of your hands. In other words, God said this is by design. It's not the design to where God says I'm determined to make your life miserable. Some people think that God is... Uh, a cosmic killjoy that all he wants to do is say oh it looks like you're having a little fun we'll take care of that looks like you're enjoying life well we'll fix that and uh, some people have the idea that he wants us always to be impoverished and sick and walking around with our head down and all of that and nothing could be further from the truth now the health and wealth people have kind of blown this way out of proportion And they're preaching even a false gospel on that. But let's not throw out the baby with the bathwater. There are a lot of verses in the Bible that talk about us having the joy of the Lord as our strength. They talk about us having the peace of God that passes understanding. It talks about us giving and God giving back to us so that we are continually a pipeline of blessing to other people. And in the... uh, aspect of giving and and sharing and passing things on we're blessed ourselves and uh, God wants you to have a happy marriage and a happy family and to be productive in your life but you've got to get your priorities in order and you've got to understand that God uh, because he loves you he's going to be actively involved in your life so before the exile idol worship was the issue as we 
said earlier, well, that's been corrected. And that was corrected by the invasion of Nebuchadnezzar and the Assyrians in the northern kingdom and that type of thing in the 70-year exile. Now God is working to say, that was the negative. Now let's put the positive into your life. And God doesn't just want to take things from you. He'll do that maybe to get your attention. But then he wants to put some things in your life to train you, to get you where you need to be. And so the uh, uh, work that God is doing now is saying that uh, let's, let's get busy and let's do something with life. Let's do something with our resources. Let's do something with our time. Let's leave a legacy behind. And so get busy. Build the temple. The temple is going to outlast you. And so he gets their attention and he's doing it to correct them on economic, personal, social, and even psychological uh, levels in all of this. So you can see that. And that's why the Bible tells us in the book of Proverbs we are to honor the Lord with the first fruits of our increase. Not the leftovers. Why? He's the priority of our life. That's why Jesus in Matthew chapter 6, he said you worry about food and clothes and all of that. He goes, that's what the Gentiles seek after. Don't seek after that. Seek first the kingdom of God and all of these things will fall into line. And that's what God is saying to the people of Israel in this book. And he's saying that to us today. Put God first. Priorities, put them in order. Make sure that he really is the top priority of your life and that the glory of God is your motive in everything you do. Hebrews 12, 7 through 9 says, It is for discipline, that means training, that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons, children. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you were left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children. You're not really the children of God and not sons. Besides this, we had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to, that means to respect, to honor, to obey, the Father of spirits and live? So God wants to bless you, he wants to teach you, and he wants to set you up so that he can use you in a way that you could never even fathom. And this is at any stage of life. It's never too late to do right. And so, what do we learn from that? That God is the priority, his kingdom is the priority, and it seems to be when we get that right, everything else falls into place. So we just end with this. First of all, thank you for watching. Thank you for your prayers. Thank you for your support. Continue in your giving. Be a witness for Christ. And in these weird times, there's always a way where you can glorify God. It may not be the way it was before. God may be opening up other doors for you and even for our church. We want to take advantage of those things. And then consider your ways. You know, it's so easy to consider everybody else's ways. God is saying, consider your ways. You've got some things, some priorities that need to be realigned. How do I know that? Because you're like all of us. You're a sinner. 
And we are growing and we are learning. And we want God to be more pleased and glorified in our life today than he was yesterday. So consider your ways and realign your priorities. And all these things will be added unto you. Because God is a good father. God bless you and thank you for your time.